0: Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. And we'll be reading Luke 14:15 through 24. But before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, we are called to mercy ministry. We are called to show mercy. We recognize that, Lord, and we also recognize and we understand how completely and utterly and totally inadequate we are to that task. Lord, we thank You for that calling, and we pray that as we read Your Word... As we hear your word, we would recognize it for what it is, the very bread of life. Lord, you have promised that your word read and explained and preached and taught will never return empty, will never return void, will never return without having its full effect. And so, Lord, we claim those promises. We pray that as your word is heard, as Your Word is read, as it is preached, we pray, Lord, that You would help us fix our eyes on Jesus, that we would see His wonder and majesty and beauty, that we would be moved, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, that we would be led as a result of even just hearing Your Word read. And we pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke fourteen fifteen through 24. And when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he, Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled." For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. It's the Sabbath day. Probably following a synagogue service, a synagogue worship service. And Jesus has been invited into the home of some prominent influential community leaders, Pharisees, scribes, experts in the law, experts in the understanding and teaching of the Old Testament. These are people that know the Scriptures. They know the Old Testament. They know the Scriptures that they have. They're well off. Their needs are met. They are respected, influential, educated, and intrigued by Jesus. Who is this? They recognize that this Jesus is gaining a following among them. People are responding with personal relationships and they're responding to His teaching. And He's teaching as though He has authority. As though He's certain of what He's saying of what he's teaching. He's teaching with great confidence, great authority about the law, what's lawful, what's not, about who should be honored and who shouldn't be honored, about the Sabbath day and what to do or not do on the Sabbath day, the meaning of the Sabbath day. He keeps talking about the Messiah, the King, the Kingdom. And when one of them hears him speak about the kingdom, the coming king and kingdom, he bursts out, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom. Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in The kingdom. Now, this group that's sitting with Jesus would have had several different perspectives on what he's saying about the king and kingdom. One group would have said something like this. Oh, we're so glad when the kingdom will come because the good Jews will be separated from the bad Jews. Another group would have thought something like this. We're so glad when the king and the kingdom comes. Because the Jews will be separated from the Gentiles. Another group would have thought, oh, we're so glad when the king and kingdom comes because the good people will be separated from the bad people. And we could go on and on. And they're looking at Jesus. Jesus, what do you say? Jesus, who's included? Who's invited? What will happen when the king comes, when the kingdom comes in his glory, in its glory? And Jesus, as he often does, doesn't give a straight answer, but he tells a story. Once upon a time, there was a great man who gave a great banquet. Now, this is a pretty familiar passage, I know, to to many of you, and the themes in this story are themes that we would immediately recognize, don't we, particularly as Southerners inviting someone to a meal on the Sabbath day, the importance of showing hospitality, having a conversation in and around... A meal and all the planning and preparation that goes into a meal the the invitations that go out, the save the dates that go out, all the preparation that goes into it now look i i've lived we know we get this don't we hospitality planning preparation, invitations sometimes for some events. I get five invitations for the same event. And every event is a little bit different. And I'm still trying to figure out. I've lived much of my life in the deep south and in Mississippi. And I'm still trying to figure out what the what in the world snappy casual is. I don't know. Casual, casual, formal, casual. Yeah, I don't know. I can't figure it out. Cindy, what do I wear? And she helps me. But we we get this. We get the scene is hospitality. The scene is food. The scene is conversation. The scene is about invitations. And this great man has invited his peers, his friends, his associates. The invitations have gone out. They have been sent out. They have been received. They have been confirmed. Yes, we will be there. The day arrives, the reminder goes out, the servant goes out. Come, everything's now ready. It's time. And now we see a series of excuses. I said I'd come, but I'm not going to come. I told you I would be there, but I'm not going to show up. And on the surface, maybe we reading this with our American English eyes, might not see exactly how insulting this actually is. But the excuses are ridiculous, offensive, and insulting. A series of public insults. In fact, Middle Eastern commentators, it's fascinating to, to read men and women who've lived in the Middle East commentate on this passage. When they a comment, they say, it, this, this even sounds like a group of people that's getting together and conspiring to shut this banquet down and make sure it doesn't happen at all. It's offensive. What's the first excuse? I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Lives and livelihoods in this culture depend upon land. You don't buy a piece of land and then go out and see it. Before you purchase it, before you buy it, you know every inch of it. You know where everything is. You know the the rainfall or lack of rainfall. You know where things are. You know the boundary lines. I had the privilege for a number of years to, to minister in a church in the Mississippi Delta. And there's nothing like driving around. Do this sometime. If you ever get the opportunity, drive around the Mississippi Delta with a Mississippi Delta farmer. He knows every blade of grass, every ear of corn, every tree, every rock. Some of you are smiling, you know. I remember I was riding with a a man, a big guy, big, big farmer. And some of you know, some of you may know some of the Pillow family up there. And I was with the elder Mr. Pillow and we were riding around the Delta. And huge, used to play football at... Well oh, maybe I shouldn't say this, LSU, uh, um, but I, not me, him. Uh, and we were driving around, and he would show me this tree, what happened at this tree a generation ago. What happened at that pond a generation ago. He knew every inch. This excuse is rude, it's an insult, and everybody knows it. The second excuse, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must go and examine them again. You don't buy oxen. You don't buy livestock in this culture and then go see it and then go try them out and then go see if they will actually do what they're supposed to do. You closely inspect before you make the purchase. I spent many years as a teenager in Texas, and during the summers we would haul hay. I don't recommend it, it's tough work. Getting up, getting up early, going out and hauling hay. And I remember on a couple of occasions going with ranchers to livestock auctions, to live, where they buy and sell livestock. Again, they're looking over every detail of all of these animals. When you look at a horse, you're looking for confirmation. You're looking at teeth. You're looking at legs. Here's one takeaway this morning. One of the most important things to look at before you purchase a horse is a horse's. Becky confirmed this, right, Becky? Is their eyes. A big, soft eye. Not a beady, mean eye. You know the type. It's a ridiculous excuse. I bought the oxen, now I will go and examine them. Pick any ridiculous, silly excuse that you can think of for not attending somebody's important event and fill in the blank for yourself. It's offensive. I have to clean my garage. i got to rearrange my sock drawer. I have to change oil in my lawnmower. We could go on and on with modern applications. But now, with a third excuse, the ante is upped. And you might not see that again on the surface of the story But when he says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come, this is really serious, particularly in this culture. This is taking the insult to a new level. In that particular first century Middle Eastern culture, you don't talk about women this way. One writer says this, Middle Eastern society maintains a formal restraint in talking about women. In a formal setting, the men do not discuss women. Middle Eastern chivalry produces a dignified and respectful manner of talking about women. This third guest is very rudely saying, Yesterday I said I would come, but this afternoon I'm busy with a woman. I'm not interested. Yesterday I said I was, would come, uh, today I'm busy with a woman, I'm not interested, I'm not coming. Surely this excuse is rude, he goes on to say, in any society, but it is intensely rude in the Middle East. And unprecedented. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that they are saying, we're not interested, we're not coming, and I hope it doesn't happen. And he's saying, if you're a Pharisee, that's you. Pharisees here. Pharisees here. Pharisees here. Is that you? Sorry, Jesus. I've got better things to do. Sorry, Jesus, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Whatever you fill in the blank, you know you know yourself better than I do. And I know the excuses I make. Now, how does the host respond? He responds, well, we can sum up his response with two words. Sum of his response with two words, grace and mercy. And this story gives us a picture of both. Grace and mercy, as one commentator says, hear this. What's the difference, by the way, in grace and mercy? Grace always deals with sin and guilt. Mercy always deals with what we see of pain, misery, distress, the results of sin. Grace extends pardon. Mercy extends relief. Grace extends cleanses and reinstates, mercy cures, heals, helps. Think of it this way. Grace saves, mercy serves. Grace saves, mercy serves and sacrifices. And the host of the banquet sends his servant out and says, go get The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Go out in the highways and the hedges and and compel them to come in. Don't take no for an answer. Go out and get the kinds of people that say something like this. Me? I don't get invited to things like this. Do you know who I really am? Do you know what I have done? Do you know my reputation? Do you know my job? Do you know my friends? Me? I can't repay you. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to give back to you. This is too good to be true. It's unbelievable. Yes, it is. It is too good to be true, and it is unbelievable. He says now go out and get those people. Don't take no for an answer. I started out my ministry life in camping, in Christian camping, and I was the director of a Christian conference center in in Texas. And one of the things that we would do every summer is we would set aside time and space in our family camp for people that couldn't afford it, but people would step up anonymously and pay the price in place of the people that came. So the price was paid, and that they could come, they came free. Free. I will never forget seeing inner-city families, seeing others who were hurting in various ways and couldn't afford something like that, walk outside, look up, and say, I never knew there were so many stars in the sky. Stand by a fire, outside fire roast a marshmallow for the first time, but never having seen a fire, never having ridden a horse, never having seen an animal, and just put the rest of us to shame. They were walking around in sheer wonder. Me? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on this passage, says this, Those who show mercy are not only prepared to put up with their own troubles, but to take on other peoples. To help them in distress. Freely to join them in their time of trial. And to get right into their situation." I'm going to read that again, and you tell me if it doesn't sound like somebody. They're not only prepared to put up with their own troubles, but to take on other people's, to help them in distress, to freely join them in their time of trial, and to get right into their situation. That's Jesus. That's grace and mercy. Grace saves. Mercy serves and sacrifices. The gospel, this gospel, is Jesus is saying, and you recognize, you recognize yourself in this, I hope. Jesus is saying, This gospel's for you. You don't have to earn it. This grace is for you. It's free. Here it is. Reach out with your empty hand of faith and receive it. The Gospel. The Gospel is for you. But there's an important thing to follow up with. The Gospel is for you. It's for you. It's for everyone. The free offer of the Gospel. Telling everybody about Jesus. The Gospel is for you. But it is not about you. It's about Jesus. You are not... I'm telling myself this more than anything else. My wife tells me this all the time. Brad, you're not the center of the universe. I am not, and you aren't either. And we all need to hear that on a regular basis. It's not about... However you want to hear it. It's not about you. You're not the center of the universe. It's Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and now Jesus calls you to be His servant, His ambassador, to represent Him, His witness. And show to others, just positively glow to others, grace and mercy, because that's what you've been given in and by Jesus Christ, and you know it. And you show it. People, you've heard this, it's been said about us for a long, long time. You know those Christians. They're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. No, it's just the opposite. One writer says this, if you read history, if you read the history of the church, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world are just the ones that thought most of the next world and fixed their eyes on Jesus the apostles who set about on foot to convert the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, they all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with Jesus and with heaven and not themselves. The gospel is for us, but it's not about us. Let me close by by answering the so what question. Okay, what does this look like? Let me give you just a couple of examples. You know examples in, in your life. I see examples. As I look out, Cindy and I have been here right at five years now, and we're getting to know you. Um, if you're a visitor, we look forward to getting to know you. But I can look at every section of this church and see somebody who's characterized by this. It's a blessing. Let me give you, as I close, a couple of examples. There's a brand new movie. It's really hot. It's just hot off the press. Maybe you haven't heard of it. It's, uh, it wasn't produced by, by Hollywood, but it's a very good film. It's called Many Beautiful Things, The Life and Vision of Lilius Trotter. Maybe you've never heard of her. She lived in 19th century London. And there are many people that said today, uh, that say today and said in the past that this woman could quite possibly have been the greatest artist of her time. She was a writer. She was an artist. She came from a very well-to-do, well-connected family. ...in London, and she was extremely gifted. One of the greatest artists of her day, and she was converted. She was actually converted as a child, as I'm remembering, but she had this great challenge. I've got this wonderful gift, and I've got this calling. Now, not that everybody leaves their first gift and goes to another calling, but in her circumstance, in her instance she began to go down in the the poor parts of London and minister to the poor. And her family was shocked. We don't do that. She ministered to the poor, the homeless, the outcasts, prostitutes. And it was indeed... Shocking, And then from there, she went to northern Africa and then on to central Africa and lived the rest of her life doing the same thing for similar people in Africa and ended up dying in in Africa. An amazing story. And walked away from many, many good things to see many beautiful things. I, I commend it to you. She once said this, and it was hard. It was a hard life. Take the very hardest thing, this is her, this is Lilius Trotter, take the very hardest thing in your life, the place of difficulty, whether it's outward or inward, and expect God to triumph gloriously in that very spot. It is just there that He can bring your soul into blossom. Blossom. What a revolution would come over the world the world of starving bodies at home and starving souls abroad if God's people ventured on making themselves poor for Christ and giving up i me mine very convicting one one more example i was talking to somebody just a few weeks ago not in this church in another town another church somebody that i've talked to on and off through the years and this is somebody that's very discouraged life has been hard for her um tough relationship with with family divorced Hoping to get remarried, just discouraged, on and off through the years. But she is in a very wonderful, good, solid church, strong Bible preaching and teaching, uh, evangelical church. And she wrote me. You know, I kind of, I kind of dread it when I see the, the email comes or whatever. Oh gosh, I wonder what's going on now. Well, she wrote me just recently. And by the way, we don't dread it when you contact us. Please contact us. We love to. This is another person from another church in another city. (laughs) So bring it on. That's what we're here for, really. She told me she had just signed up for a prison ministry. And she said she could send cards and letters and a little bit of food and maybe even get to know a, a prisoner And she told me that she had recently received a description of two prisoners, two female prisoners. And she wanted to share it with me because she said, when I held the descriptions in my hand, tears fell on the paper. And she sent me a copy. I'll read you. I won't mention names, but one says, I'm 48 years old. I've committed murder. I've been incarcerated for 25 years. I would really like some mail and to meet at least one friend. Thank you for your time and kindness. Another one says, I'm 58 years old. I'm a sex offender. I know that only God forgives sex offenders, but I would like someone to write me and be my friend. I've been locked up for 20 years. Because I'm a sex offender, no halfway house is available for me. And I know the world does not forgive sex offenders. So it's been very, very hard to get someone to be my friend. Now, if I read that, or if you read that, and you're thinking, boy, thank God I'm not like that, and I haven't done those things, you're a Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee. Praise God, I'm not in that kind of situation. I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. this. If your response is that, you're a Pharisee. Welcome to the Pharisee club. We're everywhere. And I wrote her back and I quoted this passage. I said, remember that Jesus said, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city And bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And she wrote back, and I asked for her permission. She wrote back and said, Brad, (laughs) most of the time, I feel poor, crippled, blind, and lame. But I'm really excited about being a friend to others who are poor, crippled, Blind and lame. Grace saves. Mercy serves. And sacrifices. We are about to sing five verses of Amazing Grace, and I know you know it. If you can sing Amazing Grace and mean it, you're ready for mercy ministry. If you can sing Amazing Grace and sing it out, if you can sing it, you are ready. If you can sing it and mean it, you are ready for mercy ministry. Whether it's out there in the atrium or somewhere in your neighborhood, wherever. Because you know that you have been the object and the recipient of the greatest mercy ministry ever offered. That of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we are uh, convicted, we are challenged, we are encouraged, we are joyful, we are overwhelmed. We are all those things as we think about Jesus. As we think about His amazing grace. As we think about His amazing mercy. Lord, we pray that we would once again... Remember Your Word. Remember the invitation. Remember that we are all crippled. We're all blind and lame and poor and sinners. We, we know our hearts, but fortunately, You know our hearts better than we know our hearts. And You came to die in our place and conquer our sin and death because of Your love. We pray that we would remember that grace saves, we remember that mercy serves, mercy sacrifices. And as we sing, we would sing out and mean it. And that you would call us and that you would use us. Because we want to be ambassadors, we want to be servants. We want to be disciples, and we want to do mercy ministry. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.